Hey, listeners, welcome to When Bad Things Happen to Good People, a podcast dedicated to censorship and the arts. I'm your host, Todd Sullivan, and over there is my co-host, Oren Barter. Hello, everybody. And today, we are taking our first look at the autobiography of Malcolm X. Hey, how are things, Oren? Uh, not too bad. Good, good. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking, before we got started with the discussion, there was an interesting uh, censorship-related news story that came across, uh, didn't come across my desk, it came to, it came to my attention yesterday uh, that I thought was worth bringing up. Uh, on, there were a number of uh, Reddit or subreddits that were closed down relating to sort of alt-right stuff. Uh, but on top of that, I, th- I thought this was very bizarre. Um, the Donald Trump's Twitch channel has been temporarily shut down. His Twitch channel. He has a Twitch channel. I I don't know what it is. I mean, not That's, anymore, but he had no, well, a he, Twitch channel. It's it's temporarily shut down. It's not permanently banned. But right. Um, but apparently, he had a Twitch channel. I imagine it was probably disseminating some kind of political or governmental information. But I decided not to even bother finding out what that was, and instead, in my in my head canon, I'm just assuming that he was streaming video games from the White House. <laughs> so I thought it would be interesting. Let's let's see if we can figure out if if Donald Trump was a Twitch streamer. What do you think he'd be streaming? Oh God! What would Donald- I was thinking? Go ahead. I was thinking of something like. Like Call of Duty, right? You know, either you know it's going to be like a very you know big military kind of shooter, or it might be more of like a military strategy game, like Command and Conquer, where uh, he can pretend to be like a, a military mastermind over you know overlooking everything. See, no, I think you're 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 giving a little bit too much credit. I think he would be streaming Minecraft, mm. and in creative mode. <laughs> because he wants to feel like a god. Right. And I think he would be telling the listeners, like, I'm going to build the biggest underground bunker that anybody has ever seen in the history of bunkers. What it's if he just wants to be build... Huge. Huh? He wants to build a wall just across the entire <laughs> Minecraft yeah. world. So, I mean, right now I'm just doing a prototype in this really sophisticated architectural simulation... <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is the wall that we're going to place on the border, okay? I can see that. That's how I, yeah. He would be streaming Minecraft and, and being completely lost about it. And maybe maybe he's playing Animal Crossing and, <laughs> uh, and learning how to screw over people um, by watching what Tom Nook does. <laughs> Anyhow, I just thought it was absurd that uh, Donald Trump apparently had some kind of presence on, on Twitch. Uh, that is sure fucking what, funny. It was, probably wasn't what? even Trump. It probably was just his campaign. Yeah, I don't to think. Get I don't think it would be him personally. Audience yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Connect with the kids. Connect with the what kids. are the kids playing these days? Yeah. You know, see Mr. if you can lure Mr. In, Trump, we're uh, finding that racism isn't really polling well with the eighteen to twenty-seven year olds. <laughs> but they do e-sports? spend a lot of time on Twitch. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's uh, let's get into the book. Today we're talking about the the first section of the autobiography of Malcolm X, uh, as told to Alex Haley, which I thought was a really interesting kind of um, subtitle or a descriptor for it. Because normally, when you think of an autobiography, it's something that was written by the person who wrote the book, mm-hmm. uh, unlike a, a straight biography, which is written by a third person about somebody. So it's kind of like but in, a dictated. In this case, it seems like yeah, it was either dictated or or you know, uh, I, I don't actually know the details whether it was you know dictated or whether he actually sat down in a room with um, with Haley and mm-hmm. um, you know spoke to him and recorded it. It would be interesting to find out um, whether or not because I, I found a great chunk of the book so far at least 
does feel like a story that's being told rather than one that's being written. It just, it flows in that kind of very natural way of someone who's just telling a story. Yeah. Like, like this is what I went through. Mm -hmm. These are the parts that I want to tell you about in this order kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there were other points too, like um, I think it was chapter three or chapter four where uh, a good chunk of the chapter was all about his time sort of in the big city doing a bunch of Lindy hopping. Lindy hopping. Yeah. And I, I, it felt a little bit like, I don't know if I would have expected him to have sat down and spent that much time just talking about the Lindy hop straight or whether or not that was maybe called together from a couple of different sessions where he maybe broke off and, and, and talked about the Lindy hop at different times. Um, you know, so how much of the book was, explicitly narrated from beginning to end and how Mm -hmm. much might have been edited together after the fact to give it maybe a better sense of narrative. Um, I mean, I I think it, it could have been all in one go. I feel like it was very important to him turning into a man and identifying as a person. Right. I think it mm-hmm. it sounded when I was reading it it sounded like they were very important years. Oh, certainly. Yeah. F- fondly fondly remembered, right? Mm-hmm. And before uh we go too much further on the book, uh mm-hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about language. Uh because this book was written in 19 well I think it was I think Malcolm X died in 1965, so I imagine this book was was done not too long before that. So I'm thinking 1964. I uh, was published not long after his death. Um, and so that's important to keep in mind because as I started reading the book, I was a bit mortified at the constant use of the word Negro, which is not in like any use at all anymore, right? At least I haven't noticed it, but it was sort of the the given appropriate term at that time. But it seemed like when the white people would speak and use the term they would drop the row and go with the er oh yeah 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 so yeah but that's the thing like the amongst the white people that they would they would be using the slang the, yeah. the n-word that we're not going to say because that's yeah. not acceptable yeah um but when 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 malcolm x was speaking he is constantly using the word negro mm-hmm. um because that was, again, like I said, that was sort of the, the, the common respected term of 1965 or 1964. That's obviously changed. And I found myself wondering, you know, because I thought, you know, we, we should obviously be endeavoring to use the right language as we talk about it in this podcast. And a couple of weeks ago, while I was in a, an exchange on Facebook over the, the Black Lives Matter um, protests... I, I made a reference to, you know, black people and and I had someone come in in a comment to correct me and say uh, that should be African-American. Right. And I found myself initially going, oh, God, did, did I make a mistake? And then I wondered, well, did I make a mistake? Because, you know, I've kind of heard both terms used interchangeably. And so I was curious and I did do some Googling and I'll admit I am not you know, an expert on language and, you know, it was only sort of a brief bit of Googling, but it does seem like for the most part, either term is acceptable. Right, yeah. And the one thing that I thought was interesting is that African-American is generally um, meant to specifically describe the descendants of people who were brought from Africa to America as slaves. Right. Whereas, you know, black, black people describe you know anyone of that kind of ethnicity um so if you had someone who had maybe been born in england mm-hmm. and moved to america and they were black it might it not might be, not yeah. be yeah but i think you know either or is pretty interchangeable um for this discussion um we're going we to avoid we hope if we, we are hope. wrong please let yeah. us know absolutely if we're wrong uh, please let us know, because again, I want to point out that we are uh, two very privileged white male dudes 
who are in part doing this because we would like to to better ourselves and and learn more. Um, so yeah, absolutely. School us if we need to be schooled. Um, and we won't be using the word Negro, uh, except for no, these few times I, yeah, at the beginning, yeah. despite how often uh, it does Malcolm show up. X yeah, a lot in the book. And it just—it was just his his way of describing. Mm-hmm. I think. Like, well, and again, just, it was it was what was appropriate at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I think you touched on the one that that really, it, like every time it came up, it really stood out for me. I'm I'm not used to seeing that word. Yeah. So, um, I think yeah, that was pretty much the only, the only one. I mean, other than, you know, the cool cat reefer you know the the hipster oh, yeah, yeah. language of the i'm assuming it was the the 30s like I, I can't remember exactly when he it's it was funny in the way that uh you know when he described himself speaking during those times and you could feel that his manner of language had changed drastically mm-hmm. you know like he almost he almost made it a point to to point it out you know well, yeah, he opened one chapter with a, a paragraph of that hipster style language, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of the next the next paragraph, he was immediately kind of mocking himself for himself at that time, the way he spoke, and you know how wrapped up in that kind of culture he had become. Right, because we all know how ridiculously we are as teenagers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I found I was surprised. Um, you know, because following along through the story, um, when he started working on the the train, and and as mm-hmm. he was starting to get into um, sort of the bigger cities and visiting, you know, New York and Harlem and and stuff, it I kind of got disconnected from the passage of time. And when it came up that he was only sixteen at that time, it was kind of like a oh, holy crap, this guy is you know advanced into getting around and exploring society rather mm-hmm. quickly. Well, he, and he did it really quickly before the train, like before New York and all that, um, with his move to stay with his half-sister, Ella. Yeah, yeah. Um, he really, and that she kind of, she kind of uh, said, don't Introduced rush into him. getting a job, right? I want you to go explore. And right. he kind of took that in stride and and really went with it. And he kind of, he seemed like he had always been, you know, from that point on, fairly independent. Yeah, that's the thing is, um, it's the independence that that struck me and Mm -hmm. why it seemed kind of, and I guess too, like it seemed that he moved from um, a number of different jobs fairly rapidly, all of them kind of an improvement on the other. Mm -hmm. And then also... I mean, some of the stuff that he got involved with, you know, early on as like the the shoeshine boy, where he's also hooking people up with drugs or, you know, making connections with the, you know, escorts or whatever. And right. um, it, it all seems like something you wouldn't expect this. Because I think he was like kid. 13. No, he wasn't 16. I think he was. Not by then, I guess. That's true. Right. That's He that's was fair. even younger when he started doing that. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I think his time in the Big Apple, he was 16. As far as I, as long, that's how I remember it. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's right. At least as far as my memory, too. But he seemed to, you know, spark this strong sense of independence. Um, and we had talked about this earlier um, after his, his uh, talk with his teacher. Mm-hmm. Was it his English teacher? I, I think it was. Um, I don't 100% remember, but... Um, you brought it up, so I'll let, I'll let you bring it up in the podcast. Yeah, no, it was just, it was one of those, because, okay, so first of all, there's there hasn't been a lot in these first, I don't know if I said, we, we've covered from the introduction to cha- the end of chapter five is what we've read so far. And there certainly wasn't anything in those initial chapters that I would think is worth um, banning a book over. We're not, we're not no. in that area. Oh, yet. absolutely not. Yeah. Um, but there, there have been some interesting glimpses into you know, the reality of the past as a, you know, as an African-American or as a, as a black person in America. Um, and, you know, one of the earlier ones um, that came, I think in the first chapter was talking about 
the you know the, the visits of the Ku Klux Klan um, at his family's home, mm-hmm. you know, having to you know escape uh, their house while it was on fire. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me as kind of mind-boggling was this idea where um, at one point his father had shot one of the the clan members for you know trespassing mm-hmm. um, with a gun that was illegal to own because as a black person, he was not allowed to get a firearms license. And it just struck me as absurd because, you know, that, that whole example of, I, I, I have a legal right to own a gun to defend my property as an American is so ingrained in so much of the American mindset yep. that it, it seems so crazy that th- at that time there was this whole swath of Americans that literally couldn't even do that. Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, I think there well, was mention and, and of the fact did, that... When did sorry, African-Americans get the vote? I mean, we're talking, it's not that long ago. When these oh, yeah, things, no, I know. When, when the basic human rights were were not offered. Everything that's happening in this book happened less than 100 years ago. Yeah, which is right. crazy to me. But it, uh, it, makes, you, also- it makes you think, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also the fact, uh, you know, I mentioned the first chapter, um, that I believe everyone, uh, his father and all of his uncles, except one, I think, uh, died by violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I marked it down in my notes cause he himself wrote in the book, it has always been my belief that I too will die by violence. And that's a little chilling to read in a book that, you know, we know mm-hmm. was, you know, put together months maybe a year before he was assassinated that was just his reality that's what he had seen that's what he'd seen that's that's what what he lived that's what he lived yeah right and obviously it was somewhat uh prophetic Mm -hmm. but yeah as you were saying you know about the teacher um again this sort of window into what the day-to-day life was like for black Americans at that time, he was by all accounts within the top sort of three um, students in his school. Um, And at many times the top, I think at many times the top. Yeah. It was sort of vying between these three students. Sometimes he was on top. Sometimes it was one of the other ones. And so as was customary, and I don't recall what grade this was, um, but as was customary, you know, the teacher, you know, asked him, at one point, what he wanted to be when he grew up. And Malcolm X had said he wanted to be a lawyer. And his teacher basically said, oh, well, that's that's not ever going to happen. For you. Um, that's not going to happen. You. For you, is what he yeah. said. Right. Um, again, basically because of his color. Yeah. And, you know, suggested that he go into something like carpentry, because he'd always been really good with his hands, you know, this is something where you could make a decent living. Um, but basically the message is because of the color of your skin, you need to abandon your dreams. Right. And I believe every other student that went in, because he was the only student of color at that school. Yeah. yeah. Um, but every other student that went in to have that conversation with the same teacher, no matter what their dream was, they got the unwielding praise. Mm-hmm. And I guess I found myself wondering after I read that, you know, that's just one um, incident of that. How many other times had that happened? Has that happened mm-hmm. over the years where someone's, you know, dreams were crushed just because of the color of their skin and, and stop to think about how many great Doctors, how many great scientists, how many great writers or artists um, we never got because of those moments. Who knows? You could have had huge advancements in cancer research right now if smart, young black kids had been properly encouraged. I mean, for someone as intelligent and hardworking as... Malcolm was. It just... I think that 
moment kind of broke him in a way. He really, you know, he already distrusted and hated the system and for good reason. But he seemed to have a sort of hope mm-hmm. that if he did everything right, he could overcome. And he did everything right. And it was slapped in his face that it still wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was interesting as far as sort of the before and after of that moment, when he talked about, you know, the other kids at his school or some of the, you know, the the other families that he interacted mm-hmm. with or even the other teachers, um, he would talk about how sometimes they'd call him, you know, the N-word or mm-hmm. other racial slurs. Um, but he was always sort of quick to say, you know, but they were nice people and, you know, they just didn't know any better. At least when he was talking about the kids sort of before that moment, when the teacher told him to sort of abandon the idea of becoming a lawyer. And then the way he started reacting to those things afterwards mm-hmm. uh, it became, you know, much less benign as I think he began to get a sense of, you know, there was this kind of overall systemic oppression going on and that, you know, even if you dismissed those little things as, oh, it's, it's just a word. They're nice. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was all part of this much bigger problem. And I, I don't think that he for a minute thought that it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. I think, like I said, he just thought that, through hard work and he could overcome. Yeah. And it just kind of, I guess in a way just made it so much more real and so much more hurtful. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though I can't even imagine the things that he went through before that at the hands of the white people, well, white racist, you know, his father mm-hmm. being killed. Mm-hmm. It just, and yet they, he was able to move on from that. Like I can imagine being able to move on from that. Like what kind of strength does it take to do that? Yeah. I don't know. Obviously um, I haven't been in any situation, even remotely close to that. So, I mean, but he didn't, he didn't take it in stride. I mean, he did mm-hmm. in in the best of ways, but he didn't take it the way that he was supposed to take it. And I mm-hmm. think that that was a really brave and great thing to do. Um, so fuck that teacher. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a spicy take. Um, although, in a way, um, you know, as he said himself, it kind of did set him down this path. And... Uh, and without that kind of change of perspective, um, we probably never would have gotten Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. So, in some ways, that's probably good. I'm sure in some ways that's, you know, maybe wasn't fantastic for him. It's not for me to decide whether or not um, his was, a you know, the best path it could have been. Right. But a bad decision um, with good consequences is still a bad yeah. decision. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, there was one thing, you know, from the introduction, mm-hmm. and I, I don't remember, there, there are uh, sort of two introductions um, to the volume of the book that I'm reading. One on, is by... Yeah, on your version. Yeah. Malcolm X's son and one by M.S. Um, Handler. Um, and I don't remember which section of the introduction this is from. I think it might be from the section by M.S. Handler, but it was a discussion about uh, why uh, Malcolm X seemed so or or uh why the white man felt that malcolm x was so dangerous and i thought this was a really interesting distinction um and the reason was that uh he said the white man could sense that he wanted um blacks to be uh, black people to be liberated from american society rather than integrated Mm -hmm. with american society and that really stood out to me because it's it's a it's an important distinction 
And B, um, I can totally relate to that desire. Like I, after I read that, I got thinking about, you know, imagine you're, you're a, a, a black person in America in 1940, 50, 60, and you are a, a descendant of someone who was ripped from their home, brought to this country in chains, forced into servitude for likely generations. And now after all of that, all they're going to say to you is, well, I guess you live here now. Mm-hmm. You, you have to try to join us, I guess. You know, to have a reaction of like, uh, what the fuck? Absolutely not. I think is pretty understandable. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of them lost large parts of their heritage. Oh, totally. So, I mean, yeah. You want to be your own person. But what do you have? What do you have to go by? Mm-hmm. You have what's what's been force fed you your whole life and your parents' life and Christianity. And, and really, the idea of just sort of sliding casually into the society that did your ancestors wrong, so wrong for hundreds of years. Just being like, oh, okay, well, you signed a piece of paper that makes us human. We're cool, bro. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, don't no, don't even trip, dog. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get yeah. you, I get you. It's, it's... So, it, it's it's interesting, because I had never thought of it that way before, and I, I, I'm, I'm... Because of that, I'm, I'm quite interested to get further into the book and, and seeing some of, you know you know, Malcolm X is a political figure and, and, you know, his push for, I guess, for, for liberation from American society rather inter- rather than integration. Yeah. It touched because, on it briefly uh, in the, in the introduction mm-hmm. and it would be, yeah, I would like as you probably to kind of understand more of the specifics of what he had in mind. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I totally cut you off. No, no, it's fine. Just like I said, like that distinction was really, it's, it's, it's really simple, Mm -hmm. but it's not something I'd really thought about before. And it kind of opened my eyes a little bit. That's I guess what I was trying to say. Um, And I guess it informs not just among, you know, Americans relationships to, or, you know, white people in America, their relationship with black people, uh, but also, you know, you know, uh, white people in Canada and our relationship with um, um, First Nations, mm-hmm. um, how easy and how dismissive it is for people who are saying, you know, oh, it was so long ago, can't we just get over it? Mm-hmm. Um, no, because it's not just, like, it's such a an upheaval of of people's, and not just people's, but families and generations of lives um, in ways that, you know, effects are still being felt now. Yeah, extra generational trauma. Right? Yeah, I you mean, can't just what, be like. I was just gonna say what what one generation goes through is felt by the next, and you know things may get better, but there's still that trickle down effect. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to come down too hard on the people who are like, can't we all just get along? Because I mean, that, that's obviously a fine desire and a fine goal but i i do think it dramatically oversimplifies yeah i think they use it to deflect a lot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it's uh i don't know if it's as sincere as it's well you know i think it's probably sincere but it's it's also one of those things that i think comes from a place of privilege Mm -hmm. um and because you think if you follow the rules and you're you're nice to people and you know things will go your way yeah and that's not the case you can do everything right as malcolm did and still be told you're not good enough 
to be anything more than a carpenter. And he was he was getting along. He was he was getting along fine. He was and he was still and I I would like to think that is different today, but I honestly don't think that it's that much better. I am probably inclined to agree with you. I mean, maybe I was going to say maybe fewer houses being burned down by the KKK, but I mean, there have been some mysterious uh, hangings in the U S God, Yeah, that was. Yeah. Yeah. A little shocking. I mean, potentially quote unquote suicides, but come on. Yeah. But, but my thought for, for, you know, present day, I think coming from, or, uh, as far as, you know, the comments, like, can't we all just get along? Um, I do think maybe the most important thing that, that people, white people, let's say, um, let's even go a step further and just say privileged people can do is learn about their privilege and learn what it means. Because, Again, so many people are like, oh, my privileged, you know, I, I had to work a, a minimum wage job. And it's like, that's not, it's not what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not, I mean, although that is a privilege, there are different types of privilege. There are different types you know, of privilege, there's, certainly. There's a privilege that comes with wealth. There is a privilege oh, yeah. that comes with being the face of the uh, majority of a country. Mm-hmm. There is privilege that comes from having certain athletic abilities or height. Yep. There's height privileges. There's weight privileges. There's, you know, symmetrical face privileges. There are all kinds of privileges. White privilege isn't this thing that you're given when you're a kid and it makes your life yeah, here's better. Your, here's your but white it card. is. It's not something that you can like say, hey, here's my privilege. It's written on a piece of paper. They gave it to me when I was five. Yeah. Have it back. It doesn't work that way. But it's 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 pretty much a guarantee that you, on some level, had an easier time of it than someone else with a different color skin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Like I've heard doesn't mean you had a, a an objectively easy time of it. You could have struggled. Mm-hmm. Um but it was comparatively easier to others who didn't share your pigmentation yeah exactly yeah um should we get back to the book a bit i feel like yeah. we're, we're meandering yeah we are i mean i don't getting mind onto a soapbox a little bit um i feel like i know i almost feel guilty to white guys trying to explain what this is it's not really for us to say we you know no that's true but, but yeah, we sorry. did decide to go down the path of being two white guys talking about the autobiography of Malcolm X. This is true. <laughs> this so is true. We did we make that decision. Dug our own potential grave here. Possibly. <clears throat> Please love us, everybody. And I guess we you know my message. So I'm not. I'm not. I. I don't want to speak about. Um, you know what the the experience of you know being a black person in America is because I don't have that perspective, but. I do feel like I can speak from the perspective of trying to understand white privilege because that is something that I've experienced and it is something that I have um, really only in the last couple of years probably managed to sort of wrap my head around what it means. Um, and a lot of the privilege that you have experienced, it wasn't something that was really pointed out to you, mm-hmm. right? It's not something that is so obvious to you, but mm-hmm. it is obvious to somebody who does not have it. Oh yeah. I'm just speaking at some of your notes now, so we can get in some of the things sure. that you want yeah. to talk about. Um, there was something about um, uh, going to the theater. Uh, I think they were watching Gone with the Wind. Right. Okay. I thought that this was kind of a, a, a double whammy on the band side of things. We are reading a book that has, um, although I was able to get it on Google Play, but it has been, has it been banned from libraries or banned from crossing the border? What was the the banning of okay. this particular book? 
So specifically, what happened with Gone with the Wind, and this is another one where I think a lot of people online got their knickers in a bunch over nothing. It was never banned. It was temporarily taken off of, I believe it was HBO Max. Mm -hmm. It was temporarily taken down from a streaming service so that they could put it back up with proper um, uh, historical context. Okay. So I believe they now have like an introduction to the film that talks about you know, how things were in that era. Um, they now have like little maybe interstitials that pop up, you know, explaining certain things that happen in the film. Mm-hmm. I do think it's back on HBO Max again. Um, okay. And I think that that sort of thing is actually important because especially if we're going to argue, as I think we should, that some of these things need to be preserved because they show how things were historically. And we don't want to necessarily whitewash our transgressions mm-hmm. um, because that does make it easier to not learn from them. But instead of just keeping them up as they yeah, are. Just saying like, you can't change this. This has to stay. Yeah. Add some context. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the one part in the book that, uh, that got me thinking that this might be an interesting topic to, to bring up at this point um, he says that he is in the theater watching Gone with the Wind, and during one part he has to hide his head. And I have never watched the movie, but I'm wondering what point that might be. And and I I will watch the movie here uh, as soon as I can, and maybe try and watch it from his perspective, and hmm. maybe see at what points I would become incredibly embarrassed. Um. It just made, that's interesting because I, yeah. I I don't know either because I've never seen the film so I wouldn't even I wouldn't know where to begin. But obviously, for him to put that in the book, there must have been something in there that made him either uncomfortable or embarrassed or ashamed. Yeah, for him to hide his head in the movie theater. Well, I wonder. My my guess, and I mean this is obviously speculation, but um, from having seen uh, the Birth of a Nation, which is uh, another film that has a really horrifying depiction of, of black people. Mm -hmm. One of the things that stood out to me in that film was um, the way it depicted slaves um, as essentially being incredibly happy to be slaves um, and not wanting to be freed, like basically begging their owners um, to not, not let them be freed because they wanted to continue to be slaves. Which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was in Gone with the Wind, but right. again, I, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, I need to see that to, to speak on the topic properly, but it was, it, it got my curiosity flowing when I heard that he was in the movie theater watching that particular movie and felt the need to hide his head. And then to hear that it had been removed and now I, I understand the reasons why now. Um, mm-hmm. but it just, it was... Interesting to hear those two things so close to each other. Yeah, for sure. Made me, well, made me uh, want to find what the connection was, right? Yeah. Well, we are at a point right now there, where there's a lot of, I think, well, definitely reaction, potentially overreaction to, um, I don't want to say, you know, it's not a reaction to the Black Lives Matter movement, but it's maybe the wrong reaction with, you know, whether or not taking Aunt Jemima off the, the syrup was... I mean, it's obviously more sensitive, but was that the most pressing it was problem something. to it be was something. dealt with? It was honestly, it was something, and something. Yeah, I know, but I mean, needs to I happen guess I, it's, at I, every know, aspect some of, these... of society. And I think that if the company wants to stand in solidarity with the protesters and say this is some little thing that we will do, to I don't know to just show our support, then I am all for that. I think that was a great decision. Um, I have recently come across a couple of posts that have made the decision make even more sense to me. Um, I, I think that a company showing their solidarity is a great thing, whether we're butthurt by it or not. Oh yeah, no, I, I don't yeah. care about the butt hurt. I'm not saying that you know removing those types of of ad figures are, are going to solve everything. 
or they're or that they're the root of the problem, but it's something. Yeah, and I don't mean to criticize that decision because you're absolutely right. Every every step is is helping, and you know having that image there, as long as it's been there, uh, continues to disrespect you know the the history uh, of what that image means and meant. I guess it's more just you know the idea that you know in in the wake of people saying we want police to stop shooting us as often mm-hmm. to have the solution be, well, let's take this p- picture off of a jar of syrup is maybe not doing, not helping in the way they, they kind of want to be helped. Well, I agree the, the I, I think that the major problem is police brutality and more specifically police brutality towards people of color but they're also protesting just systemic like racism i can't talk systemic racism in their country um in all levels in all mm-hmm. places yep um yeah it's like you say that gesture isn't going to solve the core problems but I'm sad that we're talking about it so much. I think when I heard that that happened, I was like, okay, cool. They're. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me too. They, they, there was something they felt there was something they could do and they did it. And I feel like there shouldn't have been any backlash. I think the company was just trying to show their solidarity and, but I honestly, like, I don't think there's anything that I would consider to be too far. Too far as far as what? Like, I mean, the removing of Aunt Jemima or pulling Gone with the Wind off, which I now understand wasn't a mm-hmm. full time or a, a, yeah. a complete deal. Um, I just, I kind of just want everybody to do everything they can and then just to see what we're left with at the end and see what we want to bring back and see what we want to have and see what isn't offensive and what doesn't suppress. And I'm okay with everything kind of falling apart at the moment. Well, I think the thing too, when it comes to Aunt Jemima and it comes to um, Gone with the Wind, um, these aren't cases of, uh, of censorship, really. They're cases where uh, individual corporations are making decisions about their products. Now, do you think maybe there's a hint of greed involved in that as well? Do you think maybe they're seeing the popularity of this movement and they're like, we don't want to have any negative uh, views from these people? So maybe. Oh, yeah. Should, yeah. Totally. That totally. could be it. Maybe. Maybe I'm giving. Them oh, yeah. Too I, much I, I don't think. I honestly don't think that the company behind Aunt Jemima is is standing in solidarity with anyone except their shareholders. I think they, <laughs> they saw it as an opportunity to, right. um, you know, revise their branding in a way that's you know more friendly. Um, and I'm sure it's all about profit. Okay. We- in fact, I mean, there's it's almost guaranteed. Like the, the way corporations are built, they don't do things out of uh, you know generosity or to stand in solidarity with things. They do it because it will generate more money for them. Okay. What well, one problem at a time though. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> I mean, if they if you know, if they can make more money while also, you know, reducing a, a negative stereotype of, you know, black Americans, that's great, I think. That's a victory. We should just do a podcast on how much we hate corporations cuz I could go on forever, but I think we should maybe get back to the book. There was one part in the book where I think it was their history teacher was reading the only section of the entire course on black history. And it was one paragraph long. Mm -hmm. And it was, and he laughed through the entire thing and ended speaking about it or reading it, I suppose, ended reading it by making fun of, of black people. This is a teacher. This is somebody who's shaping the minds of the people in front of him. And already, you know, 
African-American experience has been uh, compressed into one short, tiny part of an entire book. Yeah. And when he gets to that point, he can't even say it with a straight face. Mm-hmm. It just, like, all these things that he brings up about his early childhood, it just, it makes you angry. Well, one, of the, one of the things I wondered from that segment is, I, I wonder what black history uh, in the American education system is like now. I mean, it's obviously going to be better than that, but I feel like... Um, it's still not where it could be or should be. It's probably um, still very whitewashed. I mean, we could we could try and find some American books on it. Possibly. I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting is um, th- last year, tons of people, and th- myself included, um, became aware of this historical event called, I think it was the um, the Black Wall Street Massacre. Um, because of uh, the Watchmen TV show on HBO, um, and it was basically this 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 historical event where blacks black people in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, had basically created their own sort of affluent area, mm-hmm. which became known as Black Wall Street um, because of the the success of the people there, and. At a certain point, um, a bunch of um, white supremacists um, basically attacked the place, killed everybody, and it's just kind of not even talked about. And it became sort of this huge, it, it was the starting point of, of the series on HBO, and it was the first time that a lot of people learned about it. It was just either late last year or early this year that um, the city of Tulsa said that they would finally start including that event uh, in their history classes. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And, and so it seems clear that to this day that, that absolutely there is a huge amount of whitewashing of, you know, the history of, what you know, African Americans had to struggle through, um, and you know, I'm not going to say it's it's warranted, but I can certainly understand why uh, Americans are generally ashamed of it, and why they'd want to keep it under the surface. But um, yeah, yeah, makes me try to remember what um, what coverage of early Canadian settler uh, interactions with first nations was like when I was in elementary school. Cause I imagine mm-hmm. it's probably very similar. A lot of whitewashing the details and, you know, explorers came of, and provided weapons and yes, fancy tools. Yes. And also friendly Thanksgiving stories about sharing, sharing our bounties instead of passing on smallpox. I mean, yeah, on purpose. Every nation, I guess, has shame in their background somewhere. I think we're nearing the end, whether or not, uh, unless you have anything else. No, I just wanted to say that the first five chapters of the book I found were a great read. Um, Very, I found the flow very casual. Yeah, I had no problem getting lost in it, picturing you know his zoot suits, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, Lindy hopping, Lindy hopping, Lindy hopping, yeah, and to hear about all the musicians that he had had the chance to hear, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some even interact with, and uh, you know, so far, it's it's been. Other than his his very early years and and a few points in between, um, is it seems like it's a story of a man who's really overcome 
and just tried to be happy. Just tried to find some enjoyment. Tried to find yeah. his place. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 I mean, we know how the story ends. I'm assuming there's going to be some much more heartbreaking events coming up. Um, but I have to say, I am really enjoying learning this man's story. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think he's got a really great um, voice. I think he's he's a great storyteller uh, in this book. And I agree. I really enjoy um, sort of just getting into the flow of his words and the story he's telling. And I'm really excited uh, and curious to see where the rest of this, um, I'm sure, will be very, very interesting life goes, even though, as you said, we know how it all ends. Um, so what do we got for him next time? Is it, uh, six through 10 chapters, six through 10? Uh, let me have a quick look. I think it's probably something like that. Uh, I think we're going six through 12. Okay. Sorry. I should say I'm wrong. It's six to 11. Okay. Um, and then 12 to 19. Uh, 12, that would be. I don't know. It's hard to figure out right okay, now. Okay, yeah, don't worry about it right now. I just wanted to say, um, just bring up that we've got chapter 6 to 11 coming up for the next Yeah, podcast. I think that, that's worth mentioning, especially if um, if people wanted to read along with us. I know there was somebody on my friends list who mentioned that he had a copy on his bookshelf, and this might finally inspire him to pick it up and read it. So, uh, yeah, if people are interested in reading along, um, we are doing these podcasts on the first and third Sundays of every month, and we will try to include what we're reading for the next section, uh, chapter six through 11 for next time. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts? Just that I hope we didn't, uh, whitewash his legacy through this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, like if we're, if we're doing a bad job of things, uh, and you're listening, um, please let us know. Um, our, our, our mission here is to, try to be better educated, um, privileged white guys. Um, yeah. So yeah, hopefully we're doing an okay job of, of communicating, uh, our understanding of what's going on in the book and hopefully our white privilege is not, you know, bleeding out too much. <laughs> uh, I guess, uh, that'll do it for, uh, this episode. Thanks for listening. My name was Todd. Still is Todd. I'm Todd. He's Oren. <laughs> and my uh, name... Oh, you got it? No, who are you? Who? Oh, my name is Oren Barter. And I am Todd Sullivan. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Bye.